Hey everyone, I am super excited uh, to share with you guys today about our state planning, how does it work, um, and why is it important for everybody uh, who, has, who cares about what happens to their money after they die or if they have children to make sure that their children are adequately protected. If you don't have an estate plan in place, you're leaving it to the government to make all of those decisions for you. And if you're anything like me, it's like that's a non-starter. And the only way that you can get around that is by having an estate plan in place. So if you guys, um, you guys know me, I'm Scott Royal-Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solution Solutions. I'm an entrepreneur, uh, asset protection attorney, um, and longtime real estate investor. I'm here with uh, Megan Templeton, um, who is another uh, attorney that works with us here at Royal Legal Solutions. Uh, today, she's going to be uh, talking with us a lot about how does the estate planning work? Where do we find it being effective for everybody? What are the critical components um, that happen uh, with estate planning um, and, and kind of going through it from the top level? So, uh, Megan, I shared a little bit with everybody about um, you know, what is uh, about maybe the big why behind estate planning, but from your experience as an attorney, like why is estate planning important? Oh my gosh. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, right? So, you know, we, you work your entire life to build up this wealth. Well, how do you make a generational wealth? How do you make sure that you have worked for something that is going to carry on that your loved ones are provided for and provided for in a manner that is low impact on them? Because what you see more often than not, is upon the passing of someone, if there is not a proper estate plan in place, things get very messy very quickly. So your family is dealing with a time when they are grieving, they are heartbroken, and now they've got to deal with these very heavy legal logistical concepts. There could be fighting about the assets. So without that plan, there's going to be more heartache that's tacked on to an already very difficult time. Um, so I think, you know, from a, a perspective of just making things easier on your loved ones, that's number one. Number two is making sure that the majority of your estate is actually passed on and does not go into the government's pocket. How do you make sure that you've got the maximized tax savings and things to be able to pass stuff on without too much of it being stripped from you? I mean, who wants to work their entire life and not be able to pass all of it on and have it go to some anonymized party, right? Oh, yeah. And I got to tell you, like, I just heard this story the other day that like somebody died without an estate plan um, and, for, and they said, well, great. They didn't know where all the assets were. The family was over there trying to churn through like what banks they could look at, like what yeah. brokerage accounts, trying to look at like all this stuff to find out. We know the guy had millions of dollars, but we can't find any of it. Yeah. We can't find any of the assets. And because it wasn't organized to a state plan, it was just psh, off to the wind. So the family actually lost out on millions of dollars just because there wasn't a little bit of organization. So I was like, holy smokes, guys, this isn't just about me and yeah. my kids. This is about like what's going on with my parents, what's going on with like my family. How are yeah. they doing the things they need to do to accomplish what they because look, after they're dead, what do they want to do with those assets? They want to support the people that they loved, right? Absolutely. With it, yeah. right? And so it's part of the things that we can do to support our families, but also to support the other people in our lives to help them by supporting them and supporting all of us, you know? That's the way it comes with it, right? Yeah. Have you heard many of those um, stories? I mean, the stories I hear are like that, or I hear people that like they end up, um, they don't have an estate plan in place. So everything gets pushed to the court system and it's yeah. all disclosed on the public record of everything they owned, who got what. Now their family members are actually getting sued because they had, you know, people that claim that they owe them money. And now they know they just got a bunch of money. Like it ends up being like a whole, a whole mess. Um, have you heard of stories like that as well? Yeah, I mean, we hear stories about that all the time. And I, and I think another one we hear all the time is, oh, well, you know, my parents had an estate plan, but they didn't keep it up to date. They thought they were maintaining it. They weren't. So at the time of their passing, it's not current. We are still in the same situations if they didn't have one at all. Um, so and I think the lessons you take away from that are be prepared, be prepared early and continue to maintain it. Because we do, we hear these 
pretty heartbreaking stories all the time of people who have worked 70 years to build this generational wealth. And then because there's not something in place that's properly done, it's just, whew, it's gone or yeah. it's greatly like decimated. And so, you know, nobody wants that. So I think it's, a, this is an important topic for us to have and to continue to have because estate planning is something that's evolving. You add more kids, you need to continue to account for that kind of thing. Um, so it's well, not a one and done too, yeah. right? Like you have to be cognizant. Of what are the new stuff that I buy? Did I buy that in my personal name? Did I buy that as part of, and, and make sure it's properly transferred my estate plan? That's what I get is a lot of people are like, well, I, you know, maybe I formed it, but I didn't maintain it. Um, and, and those are all things that we've thought through, of course, over like working with a few thousand clients. It's like, okay, how do we make this easy for everybody? Um, both on like the, the setup phase, as well as like the ongoing uh, maintenance, maintenance part of it. So like how, how easy is it really to set up, uh, set up an estate plan? So that way you can make sure that all of your assets stay anonymous, um, when they pass your heirs, that you can make sure that everybody gets everything that they're supposed to get. They get immediate access to all of the assets instead of them being caught up in a court process. Um, and you can just avoid, uh, avoid all of those uh, other downside risks. Yeah. I, 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 you know, honestly, it, there are edge cases where it can get complicated, but majority of the cases, it's pretty simple to do. And I think that's a major misconception is people don't go through with estate planning because in their heads, they think, man, this is so, this is so big. This is going to be so overwhelming for me. When, if you're working with a team that knows what they're doing, like the Royal Legal Team or, you know, a, another attorney that may be in this space, it's something that's pretty easy to set up and is a low burden on the client. I mean, as attorneys, I can speak for myself, you know, it's my job to take over the overwhelming pieces. It's my job to get those documents. So I just need information from the clients to take it and run with it. So it can be a very low burden process. And I think people often get it in their heads that it's not. And that's where the barrier to entry comes when it's a false barrier to entry. Well, how, how long does it typically take? Like, how long do you need to sit with a typical client to be able to get the information you need to, to get an estate plan up? Yeah, I mean, it can be done as quickly as 30 minutes. I mean, and depending on the size of the estate and the size of the general or the family, I mean, it, it can vary. But I really, there's a couple of core pieces you need to know, which is like, what assets do you have? Who do you want to leave it to? Are there any caveats to this? But it can be a pretty quick and easy conversation. It does not have to be an extended thing. Very cool. And, and maybe tell, um, walk us through, Megan, um, since it is, you know, quick and easy and really effective um, and really essential um, to have app uh, to go, like what, what are the pieces that are like the critical pieces um, regarding what needs to happen um, just with like the assets themselves, like regarding like what is, how does a living, like a living trust and a pour over will, like what are those things and how do they apply? Yeah. Yeah, so those are the main tools that we recommend. I mean, I think, and I think they're very uh, foundational tools for anybody. Um, so with a living trust, what you're looking at doing is putting all of your assets into this vehicle that's going to avoid probate. That's what a living trust is going to do. So your family is not going to have to go through all these poor processes. Um, and the pour over will that goes into that is, is your catch-all. What you want to do with that pour over will is saying anything I don't specifically list in my trust, go ahead and send it through. So we want to avoid probate altogether. Um, and so I think the important piece in that is, one, being as specific as you can when you're doing the living trust, go ahead and list out what you can. You want to make sure you include details. But know that if for some reason there is an issue where you don't catch something or you add something later, your pour over will is going to give you that security as well. Um, so you really want to make sure you have that front piece as well if you think it's kind of linear. Um, and so those are the two that we highly recommend. There are also other things that come into play, though, like your power 
power of attorneys, your healthcare power of attorneys, other items that are going to allow your loved ones to take action on your assets if something, if you're incapacitated or if you have passed. But the main two are like you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be that living trust and the poor of a will, which are easy for us to set up if we know what assets you have and who needs to be involved in the process. Awesome. Yeah. So when we look at the, just being able to pass over the assets to people, we take, you know, any entities, right? Any LLCs, series LLCs, DSTs, all of that is actually owned by a single living trust, right? And so everything's owned by that single living trust. And then all of your assets will be inside of a company structure. So that way it can all stay protected and anonymous during your life. And because it's all owned by the living trust, it's one like one thing that has to happen. It's really simple that way because we've already maintained everything to make sure all of the assets that need to be in that living trust are there inside of the entity structuring because, hey, we wanted to protect them during our lives anyway, right? So that makes it where we don't have to do any extra work. We just have to make sure we're doing the things that are protecting us, but we already have this other mechanism paced with the living trust that says, cool, that'll help us move over and avoid probate court, avoids the public disclosures, avoids creditors coming in and trying to attack the attack the estate, avoids people being able to attack your family afterwards by knowing that they um, have received a certain amount of money um, based upon the public record. And then, and I think you said it right, like with the pour over will, right? It's, well, what did, what did we might've forgot, right? Like what, what did we forget to put into the structure? Or maybe there's things that I didn't want to put into the structure. Like what am I doing with my clothes? Yeah. Right. What about my watches? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that into an entity structure. It's like great. Well, all your will, the will is gonna say is great. Everything that I had over here, pour it into the living trust, and then whatever I have in the living trust of who's supposed to get what, it'll, that'll just sort it out. So then I only have one document I have to maintain, which is just my living trust document. If I have a child that develops like a drug addiction, right? Probably a good thing to like update in my living trust to make sure I'm not gonna do something that's actually gonna harm my kid while they're going through this tough patch. Or if I have a child that has special needs, right? Or I have more children that come in, right? Or more people or more charities that I actually wanna make sure that I'm supporting if something if that happens, right? All of those different considerations comes in just to that one living trust document. And then you only have to maintain that one document. And at Royal Legal Solutions, it depends on like what level of membership everybody's at. But if you're doing the twice a year updates with us, or if you're inside of the quarterly meetings, or if you even have some of the private um, individualized um, uh, piece of that, those are the touch points that we use to hold the accountability for how do you make sure things are always up to date? How are you even asking, are you making sure you're even asking the questions that need to be asked to check off on them for one hour a quarter, one hour every three months to be like, cool, I did my stuff. I did all my legal stuff. Um, and I'm good to go on everything that's there, like on the legal front. So if you don't have that with us, make sure you're having that somewhere because I guarantee you every single person that's ever come in my door has not maintained their estate plan. And that's even true if they had an attorney set it up because the devil is in the maintenance. So you have to find somebody else to hold the accountability for you. I guarantee you're not doing it on your own unless you're doing it like Christmas with the family every year. (laughs) You know, like you're probably not doing it. And if you're not doing it, then everything you spent money on is actually not going to be helpful for you into it. Okay, cool. So uh, we that's how those two documents are what happens if you die. Let's dive into a little bit of like what just happens if you just get injured, right? Like I'm injured. I got into a bad accident. You know, Scott's crazy out there trying to do backcountries like snowboarding, right? Yeah. You know, a sweet helicopter ride after I crash into a tree or something like that, but I'm here in the hospital and I'm unconscious, right? 
Yeah. Like what happens if I don't have anything else in place? Like what happens to my medical decisions and what happens to like my finances during that time? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what, so if something happens and you would, you do end up in the hospital, you end up in a place where you are not capable of making those decisions. You don't want to have, you don't want to someone else decide who gets to make those decisions for you. Like, I want to be in charge of that. I want to be able to say, no, like I, I want my husband to be the one doing this or my sister. And so inside of that, we help draft the documents that give that authority to that person. So, you know, we do the healthcare power of attorneys, which lay out very clearly who can make my decisions for me. Here's the decisions they can make. And here's the input I want. So things like, do you want to be put on a ventilator? You can go ahead and put that down where someone doesn't necessarily get to make that decision for you, but it makes your intentions known in a moment where you can't speak for yourself. Um, and on the financial side of that, you've got these durable power of attorneys. So if someone needs to get into your bank accounts during that time, they're allowed to do so. They can continue making sure your investments are running smoothly. You're collecting those rents. So even times when you're down, you're able to still make money. I mean, shoot, like let's, let's keep the rents flowing, you know? Um, and so I think those I keep the rents flowing. Yeah. That's yeah. number one bread and butter, right? Let's keep the rents flowing. Let's keep the insurance play. Let's keep the mortgages getting paid. Let's so way, whenever I cut out of the hospital, it's not like, Oh my God, my finances burned to the ground. Yeah. Well, let's keep it moving, but let's keep it moving in a way that we trust who's involved in that. And so having those documents drafted before something happens, that's how you make sure you maintain control in a moment when you can't speak for yourself. Um, and I can't stress enough how important that is because we have had horror stories of people who said, you know, I didn't have a power of attorney in place. Suddenly I was incapacitated and I was incapacitated for a significant amount of time. And my entire life fell apart around me because no one could take action on things. So, you know, as you want to definitely account for what happens when you pass away, but also the scenarios when you're still living, how do you protect what you have for when you're back able to get into the game? Yeah, absolutely. And can you talk a little bit with us, Megan, about um, inside of those power of attorney and finance? I don't know. I don't know about you, but like for me, it's like a harrowing idea to be like, cool, I've given the keys to the kingdom to no matter how much I trust somebody. Can now they just like take all of my they have access to all of my money, all of my stocks, all of my assets. They could sell everything I own. Like, is yeah. there a way that I can like limit it or protect myself to say, cool, well, I just only need them to do like these particular things. So like they don't have powers to do everything with my finances, but just the critical things to maintain it until like I recover. Is that yeah, possible? Absolutely. I think there's two important pieces in there. One, you can limit it. So you can go in and you can say, these are the only actions they can take. So you'll see that a lot with real estate. People will draft a, a limited uh, power of attorney for things to allow people to close, to go to the closing and do it on their behalf. Um, so you can limit it. You can go and say, they only have access to these funds. They can only be used for such and such. The other important part to know about is these power of attorneys always have a duty of good faith. So whoever is stepping in your shoes, becoming your power of attorney has a duty to operate in good faith to make sure they are maintaining or growing your investments in a way that's beneficial to you. And if anything is improper done, then you know you can take care on that at the back end. So you can limit it, but you also have the fallback of if they do anything wrong, there is recourse. It's not just a point blank, take all my money and go to the Cayman Islands. Yeah, absolutely. So like what that can look like in specifics too, that I've seen is that there's best practices with what you can do there. So what you can do guys is we can, we have a best practice of like, how do you profile out? What are the key, what are the key bank accounts they actually need access to? How much money are we going to keep in those bank accounts, right? What are the key types of uh, being able to pay insurance, be able to pay the mortgage, uh, being able to collect rents? What are those key provisions that we know are fundamental of things that are going to fall apart if they're not maintained? 
like appropriately. Uh, and one of the cool things that if you work with a law firm and you're a family office client or peace of mind client is that now you have an attorney that's involved with that document. Because if that document ever like comes to light, like we're going to use it, the, the law firm is always contacted in, in connection to that document, because whoever is going to receive that document that says, oh, this guy who walked off the street with a document now wants access to these bank accounts, they're always talking to us because they're like, well, we'll believe a law firm because a law firm has like a credentialing around it. And we know that it's like a professional, it's an outside voice that comes into that conversation that helps that whole thing actually work. But it's also the way we're able to like, kind of look over the shoulder for you to be able to say like, hey, this is, uh, is what's going on here proper or improper into it, right? Does it look like somebody's actually trying to rob our client that we can step in to be able to help protect you even while you're incapacitated? So it's another way that working with a um, working with a firm that somebody can watch your back to it. So whether you're using us, we have systems and processes in place and best practices to be able to ensure that things are going to go the way that they need to go with it. Um, but if you're not working with us, just make sure that whoever is doing that, that that's an essential part of their process. Because remember, it's not the setup where everything happens. The setup is incredibly important. It's actually in the ongoing execution of where everything actually has to work, just like with the living trust, right? Easy to set up. How do you maintain it? How do you make sure it's going to run right? Same thing with these powers of attorney. Easy to set up, but what actually happens when the rubber meets the road and you really need to execute it? Who's really watching your back to make that happen? You need that trusted person in your life with it. And I would recommend using an organization over an individual because people could be on vacation, right? Organizations don't go on vacation, right? And that's like the different power, that's the different power of, uh, of doing that. Cool. Megan, anything else? We, we covered um, the living trust. We covered the pour over will. We covered the healthcare power of attorney. We covered the durable power of attorney. Is there anything else that comes to mind uh, for us in terms of like HIPAA authorizations or anything else that comes into things that we typically want to consider um, in connection with like what a complete estate plan looks like? Yeah, so you've got the HIPAA authorizations that we touched on, which allows your medical providers to share your medical information with whoever's going to be looking after things while you're gone. And now inside of that, it's another thing where it's scalable. You can dictate what they can share, what they can't share, how they can share it. You know, there could be triggers where they can only share my medical history if X, if I'm in a coma for X amount of time or something like that. So the HIPAA release is another good one. And I think a point for us to understand, kind of tagging off what you said of working with an organization is we hear a lot of sometimes of, oh, well, I'll just pull a template down from, I'll, I'll Google it, I'll pull a template down. You run into some issues with that, particularly because these items can be very state specific and there might be extra state specific forms you need in your estate plan. So, you know, we've talked about the trust, the will, the power of attorneys, the HIPAA forms, but for example, Rhode Island has two extra forms that have to be included in it and they're statutory forms. Well, if you pull something down from Google, it may not catch that. Um, and so there could be other forms you might need, but we need to take a look at where you're living, where might you be moving. So I, I think it's, like you said, it's important to work with an attorney and organization on this so they've got the full scope of exactly what you do need and that it's going to be in compliance. Because some of these Google template forms we've seen come in sometimes, uh, they're pretty pitiful. Yeah. Well, anything you're going to get like in a templated format is really watered down, right? So if you had nothing, your option is... I'm going to absolutely do nothing versus do a template. I'd be like, cool, do a template because maybe it'll work. There's a shot. 
let's take a shot, right? Yeah. But if you're an investor, you have, uh, if you're an investor or you're actually committed to this idea of long-term wealth building, you care about like what happens to your family. You want to make sure that you're covering off on the risks that typically happen to people in general terms, right? People get injured, right? People die, right? How are you going to cover off on these risks and the way that it has the best practice and has the right support structure in place? You have to be taking additional steps. Like the forums aren't going to, aren't going to do it for you. It's a, it's a non-starter, but some people are like, well, when should I do a form? I was like, it only in the option that you're going to do nothing because yeah. a form, right? That's the only time that I'd be like, cool, pull a form off the internet and try it. Because yeah. like, whatever, right? I mean, what, what, what else can you do, right? Like into it, because yeah. it's better than absolutely doing nothing because nothing is the default. Whether the form doesn't work, that's the same as if you had nothing in place at Again. all in most, case, in most cases, they go with that. So awesome, Megan, any, um, any other like last pieces um, that you want to share with us here before we, before we wrap our episode up on estate planning? Um, I would just stress, and it's like you said, you know, if you're part of our family office program or anything, make sure you're getting with your attorneys and going through these things on the reviews that we have. Um, you know, by the time your living trust is at the top of all your structures, I'm going to make sure that living trust is correct because I want everything else below it to make sure it goes where it's supposed to. Um, but as things change, as families evolve, families grow and assets grow, you got to keep a check on make sure those documents are up to date. And I think working with, staying in contact with our attorneys is one of the best ways to do it because I don't know if you had a, a kid last year. Congratulations if you did, but I need to update your estate plan. So I need to know that. Uh, so I, I think, you know, really focusing on just making sure you're maintaining it because you can set it up, but if you set it up and forget it, it's not going to do a whole lot of good probably. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for coming in and fill us in today about the estate planning pieces. Um, always a pleasure working with you on uh, how we can better educate uh, everybody about what are the what are these important matters that are going on in their life and um, how uh, how they can look and source for like the right type of provider, the right type of relationship that's really going to serve them. Uh, so thanks for filling us in on, on all of those ideas. Yeah, thanks, Scott.